Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of A Whole Mood. So last week, Anna came on and she shared her beautiful story of immigrating to the U.S., really making her own while learning a different language, understanding how to get around in California, in Boston, in San Francisco, you name it, and really establishing and making a name for herself. As you know, this is Women's History Month. So the stories that we're going to be hearing this month is all about the women and really giving them the floor to tell their stories and to tell their truth. So this week, I was on Facebook. And as you know, majority of my friends either come from New York or some of them, but a lot of them are from my hometown Mobile. Now, Mobile is like no other. They are very prideful of the schools they came from. So there's always going to be some conversation about you wouldn't have been able to survive at this school or something like that. And so it kind of brought up a conversation about how I actually survived in those environments in school. And a friend of mine directly on Facebook, we kind of really delved deep about like how prevalent like bullying was. And I know it's a different type of bullying than now. It's like with the virtual stuff and the cyber bullying and whatnot. No. And so it kind of brought up a topic about certain avenues of bullying. Today, this episode is called Blackish. Shout out to Ariel who I met just last year by way of Wilson. You guys remember him from the Shift episode. Ariel introduced me to her dad, her mom, and of course, her sister, her older sister. We have Ashley here today. How are you, Ashley? Hello. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming. I love this. I'm so excited. So, yes, (laughs) what I do know you guys are from Chicago, right? Mm-hmm, we so are. where in Chicago are you guys from? So we are from the south side of Chicago um, in a neighborhood called Beverly. We're all known for our neighborhood. So we're basically on the border of the city going into the suburbs, the southwest suburbs. And where we grew up was predominantly a white neighborhood. You had your cops, you had your teachers, you had your firefighters. My sister and I were very much the only ones in all of our classes growing up. Coming from immigrant parents, we were the only black family on the block. Basically growing up in white spaces all throughout college and then the industry I'm in right now is a very white space. So if you can't tell, I think we're going to have a really great conversation about Blackish. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The whole topic about this episode is the jarring statement of acting white. A pejorative statement about Black people acting a certain type of way outside of either speaking in bionics, which can either be a comment about a person's speech or it could be a backhanded comment to note a person of color's progressive trajectory and could potentially make a person second guess or feel guilty about their privileges, academic trajectory, or possessions. So 
when did you first get pegged as acting white? Oh, man. I mean, if you can't already tell by my voice, it's been forever. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. I remember specifically, we had a family reunion. My parents are from Haiti. Everyone's like kind of all over. And I had to have been like eight or nine. And I will always remember my cousins coming out to me like, why do you talk like a white girl? Like, why do you talk like that? Mm. And I was like, like, what? Like, I'm just, that was the first time that I was like, oh. And I mean, like, I was always conscious of, without realizing it, knowing that I was the only one, like, growing up. But it was never other than, like, oh, Ashley's Haitian. Like, I really dove into, like, I'm Haitian American, like, all first generation, all that. But that was the first time that in a Black space. And again, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of that growing up Mm -hmm. also, or just our family members didn't live close by and stuff. I took like a little valley girl and then they would like mimic me like they were making fun of me so so yeah that probably had been like the first time that I got pegged just talking like a white girl wow okay and I know you mentioned that your first identity above all was Haitian and you know I had a friend Danielle she's Jamaican and she was like mm-hmm. I didn't even know I was black I just knew I was Jamaican yes yeah mm-hmm. I mean I feel like that's just like also just the immigrant experience and being first mm-hmm. generation and being raised in that, like you're taught as, you know, you're American because we came here to give you the American dream. Like we are Haitian. I knew my history. I knew we were the first black country to win their independence. 1804. Like it was all like, that was something I was like, yes. But yeah, I feel like that's a very common thread amongst friends of mine that I know that are from different parts of you know, the Caribbean or Africa and whatnot, and then coming here and talking to my Black American friends and just like that identity shift because it wasn't until college that I was like, oh no, I'm I'm Black. Like it doesn't matter really. That, like me being Haitian, like. And she told me the same thing. It wasn't until when she went to college and she went to college in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I'm Black out here. Like people yeah. <laughs> look at me as a Black woman, you know, mm-hmm. whereas before it was like, no, I'm Jamaican, I'm Caribbean, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. But she was like, no, I'm Black. Like, that's yeah. part of my story. I went to a predominantly white institution for college. Yeah. And my idea of being like, I'm Black is, I was a history and sociology major. So it was like diving into the true history of America, the true history mm-hmm. of like race in this country. And I was like, oh, this is very different of yeah. how I viewed myself as like, oh, I'm mm. first generation. Like, that doesn't matter. Interestingly enough, I was talking to my cousin and he's like, you know, would you have gone to the school you went to? Because he was like, would you have changed that? Because we're talking about being in white spaces. And I was like, I, I wish I knew about HBCUs. I did not know that was an option for me. One of my girlfriends, she went to Spelman and she grew up like me in Wisconsin, you know, a suburb of Milwaukee. Hearing her experience of like truly coming into her own and her blackness at Spelman, I was like, fuck. I wish I had that, you know? Yeah. And it's different. I mean, I'm coming into it in a different way. I'm definitely more intentional and thoughtful. It took a minute to just like really embrace that, but then also be conscious of it, but then also figure out how what space to fit in because one realm, I'm not black enough, but mm. obviously in another one, I'm not white. So what does mm-hmm. that mean? <laughs> and I was going to ask also being, of course, first generation American and learning all of these American values and how you shape up in the world externally mm-hmm. to people mm-hmm. around you. Was there a clash with the internal versus the external within that? Yes, in that the pressures and how my parents understood how like our place in the world was, seeing that their experience is so different 
Well, not really different, but Black immigrants are very quick to want to, number one, assimilate, but then also remember that, like, I'm not from here. Like, that history of the U.S. and what it meant to be Black here, that's not my history. So I don't have to live in that role, but, like, they are. And, you know, I've talked to my parents, and they tell me things now where I'm like, that's not okay, like, in their workspaces or what people have said to them. And they kind of just brush it off because... There's this idea that I'm not going to make trouble because I'm not here to make trouble. And I assimilate as much as I can. And I'll make sure my kids assimilate as much as I can. So they definitely understand what it means to be Black for me. And then like being first generation and kind of just what my parents understood what it meant to be Black. It's so different. So, yeah. so different. And it's so interesting. Yeah, because I could see it being a disassociation where it's like, this is how I grew up in this Haitian environment mm-hmm. in Haiti, where I'm from. And to come to another land, especially with the expectation that America to everybody outside of America is like the land of opportunity. And so yeah. they can come in thinking that they're going to create a better life for their children who's going to grow up, not even knowing what their story is but already assuming that because of your skin color you come from this level of an environment mm-hmm. of american history regardless mm-hmm. of where you came from yep 100 yeah. how often did this acting white come up in your life as people projecting it to me or me being no like conscious of it no as like when you were like told that you were told acting white. Mm-hmm. um you know not as much as good I would think, as I look back at it, maybe a little bit more than I think I'm saying, because my friends and I would joke about me being the whitest black girl that they know. And I would Mm -hmm. joke about it. And I kind of just used it almost as like, that's how I'm going to present myself in a way. And to then also make people know that I know what they think. (laughs) So it was more so self-decapitating to kind of get it out the way. Yes. We're all going to acknowledge what what you're probably thinking the minute I open my mouth and what I say. I guess, yeah, maybe a lot more than I would think, but it wasn't as like in my face as much as the first time that my cousin said it to me, you know? Mm -hmm. How did you develop this self-decapitating habit? I mean, it had to have been through high school, I think, mostly. In my graduating class, there were like 400 people, about something like that. There maybe have been like 25, 30 Black people in my class. Um, And we were all in different parts of Chicago. So like where my school was, was like truly in like the suburbs, but like they were like still Chicago. So like we'd have kids from different parts of Chicago coming in or like South Southwest suburbs coming in. We all kind of had to find our niche. Like some of them were mostly athletes. So I was never going to talk to them. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) don't mind me as in theater. It's fine. (laughs) I made it my thing. Like it was just like almost a self-preservation type of thing. Like I know what you're going to say about me. So I'm just going to go ahead and just like own it. And again, this was like a lot of self-reflecting in 2020 where I was like thinking about what it meant to be black and stuff. And I think it was Mm -hmm. like a lot of subconscious stuff because growing up in the white neighborhood I grew up in, no one's going to be blatantly obvious if they're racist right like they're not gonna come out and like say anything like it's very Mm -hmm. subtle i just remember like when i would go to my friends houses i just remember how people would greet me or respond to me and i'll never forget there was one time i think this had been like seventh grade where a friend of mine we were all talking about maybe going to her house and it somehow came out later or something that i wasn't allowed to go to her house Mm. it's something that like i didn't really think about like I remember saying oh it's because I'm black but then I didn't really dwell on it and then like thinking back to I think those little moments of just noticing the way certain people interact with me 
not knowing that like I'm going to do this to make other people feel comfortable to then like you know make it so everyone knows that like the stereotype that they probably have does not apply to me type of thing so with that said were you ever made to feel insecure about being who you are yes and I think a lot of it was just even like in white spaces and in black spaces feeling insecure and that I just knew I wasn't like them all the way. So in like black spaces, it's very obvious that I'm like, I don't know half of these references to like the culture or anything like that. Like I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't know. And in what I'm like, I don't, I don't, why are we laughing? Is that funny? I don't, I don't know what's happening. So it's like, <laughs> but in white spaces, being a black face there, I have to show up in a way that's like conscious that I know that they know. Yeah. I'm the, only black person in those rooms so yeah we all acknowledge that here <laughs> like we all know that so it's just like me also just being conscious of that and then also working in advertising it's the most white industry in the world like coming to a client meeting being the only like black person on the team that's there or the black person in the room so it's just like again it's not being self-conscious because people are openly saying it but I'm also very like I can pick up on it like I know number one I don't talk like you if I'm in this black space but also another one like I talk like you but I don't look like you in the white space so like you know it's just yeah and so did you ever feel pressure to try to act more black and if so how did that acting more black translate oh my god oh this cringy memory that I have when I was like 12 Mm -hmm. or 13 and I was going to a cousin's friend's house I really can't even remember I remember intentionally trying to like speak in Ebonics like I like remember Kelly like looking at me like what the fuck is wrong with you (laughs) like I just (laughs) (laughs) so uncomfortable I think I even remember my cousin just giving me a look like okay I don't know what's happening here but whatever no one was pressuring me that was just me thinking like I had to act that way I just want to fit in but like that's not fitting in you know it was just so weird Mm -hmm. weird. in retrospect were you tokenized being the black friend by your white peers? Yes. And again, it was truly in that, like how I would joke, like I'm the whitest black person and like I'm your black friend, whatever. And people would be like, you know, I do think I may have been, again, not intentionally jokes or I guess unintentionally, but happening. But again, I would also leverage those jokes, like of just being like, oh, best black girlfriend, like over here, like, you know, kind of like that. And I've actually chatted with some of my girlfriends about this later who've known me since high school. Even she was just like, I don't think I was ever really conscious of it if I said anything or noticed it. But I know I probably did say something that was just like totally not appropriate of that because I'm like, oh, well, I have a black friend. So it's like and she's like, I'm idiot like why would I what does that mean <laughs> so so right. we have those conversations you know if I was tokenized it, it was never in a, a malicious blatant way like again mm-hmm. where I grew up where I lived it was subtle and then the people that knew me too it was never like intentional but again they have their unconscious bias that they probably did not know especially at the ages that we were then and so does the term acting white or being white bother you now oh that's a good question yes it does and I'll acknowledge too, like, I'm like, yeah, we all know, like, if someone was on the phone with me, but it does bother me because there are so many ways of being black, especially here. We're from all over, at least for my people that I know come from is from an island in the Caribbean. And it's different from my best girlfriend who is from Ghana. And it's different from you who's from Alabama. Like, it's just all a different experience. 
and there's no right way or wrong way to be black. I think it took me a minute to truly understand that and embrace the fact that like, I am a black woman. That is what I am. And that is what I will be. And that is what I want to be proud of. So it does bother me because also at the same time, it's just like, well, then if you think I talk white, then what are you talking about the other person over here that doesn't talk like, you know what I mean? Like, and they have the same education. They have the same background growing up. It may have been in a different location, but you know, or it may have been in black schools, but like we're the same. It was also me like coming into my own, coming into like what it meant to be black for me. How has these issues shown up in your adult life? You know, there is a level of insecurity, especially when you are in predominantly white spaces like me, where it is this like imposter syndrome that is just so prevalent in like everything that you do and you're second guessing yourself. But also there's the pressure because you're like, I'm the only one. So I can't like disappoint. I can't represent negatively or whatever that could mean. So there is issues in like the pressure that I would put on myself in a sense, but also issues in the sense that when people do say stuff now that before I'd be like, okay, let it slide. Like nothing but I'm like I'm okay with making you feel uncomfortable now if you're gonna say something ignorant like even if we're having a conversation someone says something I'm I will push more to just be like what do you mean by that yeah in public and in private and I just acknowledge it too with little things at work even now I'm just like I'm calling it out I'm like people get comfortable around me in these white spaces and they forget and so then I just need to call it out So what is it like having these experiences and also being in an interracial relationship? I was waiting for that. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that it's interesting because when I was dating back in the day, I would always ask immediately, have you ever dated outside your race? And how would your family react to you dating outside your race? That was kind of like, I'm just going at it. And this was like kind of like when I was like not dealing with any of the subtle BS, like we're just going to come out and just lay it on the table. Like, what yeah. are we dealing with here? And I remember asking my husband that when we started dating, it was like first date, like we're just at a cocktail bar and I'm just throwing it out there. And, you know, he answered, he's like, yes, I have. And that would not be an issue. I'm like, okay, are you sure? Like, we'll see about that. Because previously I dated a Jewish guy for a hot minute and he was like, I don't think my parents would have anything to say about it, but my my grandmother might. And I'm like, oh, great. Okay, well, what are you going to do then when that happens? But we kicked that guy to the curb earlier than before we needed to figure that out. So yeah, so my husband and I, I mean, truly it is some of the most interesting conversations that we have when we talk about race. When we have kids and what does that mean? My experiences and like the immigrant experience, you know, when George Floyd happened, I remember crying on our couch and I was like, if we have a son, like, what do we do? Because that boy is going to be seen black before he's seen as white. And what does that mean? And what do we say? And, you know, what are you going to do? Like, how are you responding? He's like, I know the fact that I don't really have anything to say because I don't know what it's like. Like, I will not be able to ever experience what our kid could potentially be going through. But if anything, I could be there to support, protect, ally, guide, like all of that. And so whenever there's issues of race that comes up, he is very conscious of the fact that, number one, he's a white man. Number two, it's not his platform to say anything. Like, this is not about him. So we have really great conversations when he's like, hey, I read this thing about, you know, this Black woman and is talking about this. Like, what would you do in that situation? How would you feel about it? Like, he wants to know. Dives into that. He purposely educates himself on it by also understanding the fact that, again, he's a white man that will never know what it is like to be Black in this country, to be a Black woman in this country. That is something that I love about him and I appreciate makes me not as nervous to have a kid, especially if it's a little black boy, but still like understanding that like that's going to be a fear for him too in a sense that he can never relate 
but he'll have to just be a father and just try to help where he can. So his family is absolutely amazing. Our family's vacation together. So we, I'm Love very that. lucky in that. Not everyone has that. And I'm very conscious, especially in an interracial relationship. But I also dated with intention. If I was going to date outside my race to have it be with someone who is as open-minded, like-minded as me. It helped that he was just raised right. It's <laughs> a, a good human, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know that that was like a topic that we talked about when I had mm-hmm. first met you. I really commended you guys on navigating and having those conversations because sometimes people don't know how to navigate and sometimes you can get off the rear end sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. It's good that you have somebody that knows how to navigate and yeah. is always open to learn and to be an open yes. ear as well. So yes, do you ever feel pressure being a bridge between both ethnic groups, whether if it's advocating for either side or educating both black and white peers about mm-hmm your polarized experience you know I actually don't mind advocating for it I don't mind being a go-to person to talk about this stuff because Mm -hmm. I mean I'm not going to do all the work for you and teach you everything but like I'm (laughs) able to have open conversations with it I like having these type of conversations especially with my white friends because a lot of them have so much to unpack themselves without realizing it. When I talk to my Black friends, and again, a lot of us have very different experiences. We're Black in different ways, and we come from very different places. That in itself is also such an interesting conversation because it's so different from me. And yet I'm talking to a circle of like educated women as well who are like bosses, like to a T. Like one of my friends and I, we were literally just talking about code switching. Like that for me was like, can we talk about this some more? Because I want to know what that's like. Because one minute, like she is like over here, like me, like at a, in a white space talking and whatnot. And the next minute we're on the phone and all of a sudden I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> like, <we're- laughs> She and I had so many conversations about code switching and just like, what does that mean and that experience? And for me, I've never had to. I don't even know. But what does that mean for her? And when does she feel comfortable doing it? And we have these deep conversations, talking about our own experiences in a way that helps open up my mind and understanding that, again, all of our experiences are so different. And But yeah, we're still Black. And with talking in the white spaces with my white friends, I'm like, you need to be doing better. (laughs) And here's how, and you need to be conscious of the world that you're living in and the privilege that you're living in. I'm going to call you out for it. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's have open conversations here. And, you know, I can have that also like to also make people uncomfortable and call that out. So especially at work. So it's fine. Mm -hmm. Not aggressively, but I like to be known if I'm like, there's some privilege happening here. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Period. Yeah. So I know you tapped on this a little bit before, but with having white friends living in the suburbs, what was it like navigating conversation in the wake of Black Lives Matter and all of your beliefs towards any police brutality occurrence? Yeah, that was interesting. A lot of people were reaching out to me. A lot of people were asking how I was, all that. Some people were like asking what books to read, all that. And and I was responding because I'm like, let's talk about it. It took them a minute because they were just like so stunned. And then they were like, I don't know what to say to you. What kind of like trauma or anxiety that you have right now? Us unpacking that and talking about it and me just being blatantly honest and just telling them how it is in a way that they just never had to acknowledge. It's hard too because with police brutality growing up again in a neighborhood of cops 
people know cops, especially in Chicago. Yeah, they're very defensive about their occupation yes. and they choose it to be like some form of identity or an attack. Right, personal. right. When I was like, but this is your job. So I'm right. This. <laughs> like you take the uniform off <laughs> and you identify right. as yourself. Our skin is not a uniform. Exactly. I, this is right. my everyday life. My circle and my friends and stuff, they know cops. They have cops and family and everything. And, like, I will say stuff. Like, we'll have, it like, a little bit of a conversation. But it's never more than me and my thoughts on it, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Because, again, I also do think there is a level of, like, I don't know what to say. And if I – I might not necessarily – fully agree because I know I have family there and so I haven't fully dove deep into that with some friends but I know they see the stuff I post they know I know they know where I stand on it and my hope is like maybe one day we can talk about it but at the same time if they do want to talk about it they might be they're gonna have to be ready how messy it's probably gonna get right So you would yeah. you would say you've never ran into a clash with those friends, the friends that mm-hmm. may have a polarizing viewpoint kind of avoided you. Yeah. Because I know, just speaking from my experience, and this is off topic here, coming from down south, obviously, mm-hmm. where we have more white people who speak more loudly about projecting their privilege onto black people, and they just have absolutely no clue on what it means to walk and live and breathe being Black. But yet they still speak. And it's kind of wild, yeah. right? There were people who I was like really, really close friends with in elementary school all the way to like high school. I've known them. Dialogue like, oh my God, Alon, I thought you were a Christian. Like, how dare you spew oh, no. out hate and all these things? And it's like, then you go to this like back and forth of mm-hmm. this whole thing that never really gets anywhere and it, it kind of leaves you drained, right? Yeah. And, and mind you, this is like 2009 all the way to like the Mike Brown time and mm-hmm. era of this mm-hmm. whole thing. I got to a point where it's like, well, it really doesn't matter to keep having this conversation because you no. literally hit a brick wall every yeah. time. It's kind of crazy how you grew up with these people and they grow up in a completely different world from you. At the same mm-hmm. time. That's the really yes. weird thing. Yes. I mean, granted, don't get me wrong. There were some people that like, I, the minute I saw any Black blue stuff, I was like, bye, we're done. That I did go to high school with or college. And I'm just like, I don't need this in my life or to see. Mm-hmm. So good day to you. Again, we're at, everything is so subtle. I feel like I could say this without my friends being offended, but like growing up where we did, they didn't have to think about it or even try to talk about it or try to take on the narrative or whatever the point was to bring on to a Black person because number one, there weren't that many of us. It wasn't a thought process in their mind in a sense. It's not brought up unless I bring it up, to be honest. Or it's like in reaction to something I bring up and then then we kind of talk about it a little bit more. It's not as like aggressive as what you've had to experience by any means. Like I have not had that type of thing. Because I've even had a teacher when Trump was out of office and Biden went in, she had like this whole entire rant about Biden not believing certain Christian ideology and placing it into politics and pretty much like in worry and fear of her life moving forward because she understood Trump as being a Christian. And she adores me and still adores me to this day. So for her to have these views and I shared my take on it and I commented on her post And she was like, Alon, I love you. I will always love you, but I I don't agree. And so it's kind of crazy to have that type of clash with people who say that Mm -hmm. they love you, but they Mm -hmm. don't value your life in a way with their ideologies. Mm -hmm. But that's white privilege. 
they don't have to. Yeah. They are able to turn it off. They're able to turn a blind eye to it because it doesn't impact them. They don't have to talk about it every day. Like, they don't have to live with it every day. Like, we can pick up on a microaggression in two seconds and it's going to take them like seven years to be like, oh, that happened to you? Wait, what? They're like, what do, you, what do you mean? And again, that's the privilege of it. You know, I'm a Christian. I don't love, like, I don't have to be worried about stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, yeah. she thinks she can spew this stuff and then be like, oh, I still love you. You, you are not like them. But like, yeah. other than that, like, I don't and care. And that really about is that what experience. it is. Like, I don't think she's ever came to a realization like, oh my God, this could happen to you. Yes. Like, she doesn't yes. look at it like that. She just looks at it like, oh my God, Alon, this situation will never happen to you because you're X, Y, Z, you're doing X, Y, Z. Like, people not- should know you're great. It would never be that, like, you're going to get pulled over and shot. Like, no, that would never happen to you. But exactly, it, it definitely it can. Right. All right, so we're going to move on to reflection question. And honestly, this might be a little bit problematic, but it might be a little entertaining and a little fun. So let's just go ahead and get to it. So do you feel the topic of acting white is an antiquated issue? That's a good question. Okay. You know, I don't know. Mm. I I would say yes. yes. I would say yes, too. And I can explain yeah, let me know because now I'm like I'm like thinking okay. through because uh, I'm just I like say it's yes only because I feel like through decades we have evolved. Black people have evolved. That's without question. Mm-hmm. But I feel like from a broad perspective, all our asses in the suburbs at this point in life, or we're privy to a suburban lifestyle, shall I say, mm-hmm. and so much so where I don't believe that we're stifled to be ignorant to what is acting black and what is acting white. I feel like people kind of just threw that rhetoric away. Baby boomer age where they come from Jim Crow. So Mm -hmm. if you you see a black person that acts white, that's what they know as acting Mm -hmm. white. I will say with Gen X, Gen X acting white to them is acting professional. Mm. And I feel like now we've progressed to being glorified as code switching, just like what you said earlier, if you're able to code switch, you can thrive. Millennials, it's code switching. Like that's how yeah. we looked at it because yeah. you have a professional voice and you have a voice that you talk you to with your, your friends. Generationally, yes. it's a See, thing. This is so fascinating to me, Alon, because again, I think this is me also just like how I grew up and where I am. Like I did not think of it that way. Okay. Because I don't code switch. When you start talking about it, I was like, okay, I see what you're saying. Like, I still thought, like, we still kind of kept the, oh, you talk like a white girl. Like, but hearing your experience of that is just so different. You just kind of blew my mind with that one. <laughs> and I think it's honestly, I truly think it's because I've never code switched. I, I'm like, I'm just, I want to keep talking about this, but I know, like, it's going to go into totally different conversation of, like, what we're talking about right now. <laughs> So next question, do you feel that responses about acting white changes based on gender? For example, are boys praised, shamed more or less by code switching than girls or vice versa? I don't think acting white or, you know, talking white or whatever is different based on gender. Because I remember in high school, this one kid, his friends were saying the exact same jokes to him that they were about me. So I don't think that's where it was. Still this idea, and maybe it's, this is me just holding on to my own like trauma of like what, just not feeling like I fit in. Like, 
I don't think it mattered your gender. I think it truly was like, you don't talk like us. You're not with us type of thing. The person they were going to call out that you talked like a white person. Like, right. You know. I believe so yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. I don't believe that it had certain privileges based on gender. No. You're going to get called out. Now, this is where we're going to be a bit problematic. So oh. as we know, approaching the dating space or approaching interracial relationships, I believe how one approaches it has each different archetype or stereotype. What is your mm. response to black men who only date white women? Okay. Like, I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with this. I'm not saying I've dated a few black guys, but I've mostly dated white guys also kind of where I, where I was. Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel guilty about that like I don't think anyone should feel guilty about that I mean I understand that there are fetishes like let's also like acknowledge that's a total extreme of like element like right yeah like we all know like we all know that there are some so let's not pretend like that's not the case I've you know I I remember the dms I used to be like oh I've never been with a black girl before I was like well you're not about to be now so like I understand that but I don't think it's fair to immediately think that if a black man is only dating white women like that's a fetish of him or he's trying to go against black women in his life or whatnot i guess i just would hope people are better mm. so <laughs> that's you just me. That people are better yeah i mean you know. that's great that's great <laughs> i think kind of like a caveat from the second question and i do believe when we're talking about this i do believe gender plays a role based on how people perceive in certain genders do have certain privileges than others. I'll talk about it as we continue to go along. I'm going to just say what the stereotype is. So typically, Black women look at Black men who only date white women, they they were like, all right, he might be a little... Like, you know... Mm, Okay, okay. That's when they put the little radars up. They like, okay. Also, Black men can look at other Black men. Not to say that this is like always thing. Sometimes or based on the situation. Black Mm -hmm. men can look at a black man who only date white women and say, okay, you lame. You can't pick up another black woman. Okay. Another stereotype, if I would pinpoint on the black man who only, they won't be challenged. And of course, I don't know what it means to be white, so I can't really speak on what that means (laughs) on those genders. I don't know. Yeah. Now, my take on it, it would depend on the person, kind of like what you said, because I do know that people navigate in the dating space with their own selfish agendas. I do have friends who are black and who are male. They will tell you out loud, yes, I go for only white women because of X, Y, Z. And mm. I have a friend, he says he's attracted to black women, but black women don't give him no play. Okay. White women are easier to be impressed by the lackluster shit that he does. You know, it's easy to kind of get in bed with them or whatever, you know? So that's his whole thing. On okay. He gets with wow. Yeah. And down south, once they start meeting the parents, it's, it's a lot of trouble. And they mm-hmm. have faced oh, a lot yeah, of trouble with that. Only so imagine. that's my own personal little take on that. That's so interesting. To, again, this is where, remember sometimes like me with the culture, just not know. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I know the stereotypes that, that expressed and stuff. And again, I think how I was raised and just my parents too, which is kind of just like, okay, like do what you guys do. Just make sure that they're a decent human being, they're educated and they have a job. <laughs> 
so like for me, I don't think there was that pressure of he has to be black or he has to be white. Having that thought process in a, in a way. I know it's true. Like I know that's happened. And, but it's interesting too, because I've also talked to girlfriends that I guess it's the other way around. It's like, maybe I need a white date a white guy because they'll marry me or whatnot. So well, speaking on that topic, what is your response to black women who only date white men? White men. I, I would say it's the same. Again, I'd hope that you're doing with agenda of being like with someone or finding someone that is truly what you want. And it's not just like, I'm only dating a white man because I'm not going to deal with that. But hearing my black girlfriends dating, granted, I've had friends that dated a black girl that's dated white guys, black guys, and they're all kind of, you know, all right, guys, be better. Just in general, let's be better. Let's be better humans. Uh, <laughs> And I had girlfriends that are like, I want black love and that's it. And that's, that's everything. Mm -hmm. I guess my head just doesn't immediately go there. I don't think I bring that stereotype or I don't bring, yeah. Like I don't bring that immediate like black experience of like, this is what that stereotype means for that. Again, for me dating white people, it's like I was in white spaces. So that's just how it, it, majority of my boyfriends were white. It was never me intentionally being like, I'm only dating white men. Like I was never that type of, but I know that happens and I know that it, I would be naive to think it doesn't. Yeah. Cause the stereotype, as you said, with black women, they're either frustrated with black men and they go for white men to mm-hmm. have commitment or have better credit or have yeah. a better lifestyle. Like that's the stereotype when it comes to that. Right. Yeah. But I will say though, like dating on those apps, with those white guys, I mean, they would come in real hot with. Oh, I've never been with a black woman before. It's like, ooh, can we see like that ass? Those I was like, you am I a piece of trick? Like, get the fuck out of here. Get out of my DMs. I don't want to talk to you anymore. You're gross. You're sick. <laughs> so it happens. You know, they think they can play the game with you. And you're like, um, no, we're not doing that today. But thank you. But I also did mm-hmm. a black guy that also didn't want to commit to anything. And I was like, all right, well, that was fun, but ta-ta for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't have any adverse feelings to black women who date white men. Again, I think I navigated like, what are you going for? Like, do you mm-hmm. truly love this person because of who he is? Or right. are you leading with a certain frustration just because you couldn't get what you want? Like, right. I, I, well, yeah. And I think it's all of those things. And I guess what you ex- were talking about, like your friends and what you're experiencing there is like an extra level of complete averse reaction. If like, that's all that, you know what I mean? It's like, well, what are you trying to say by this? Like, what do you, what do you mean? So that's interesting. Cause that's like, you know, that's just carried shit that we have to deal with. So this one, you may have a bit experience. What is your response to white men who only date black women? Yeah, it's Cause we're the butt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> period. Uh, I mean, period. Oh yeah. I guess this is where I might have a little bit more of a, yeah. Adverse more feeling. of an adverse feeling for that. It's just like, okay. Like, are you trying to fetishize us? Like, is that where this comes in? This is where my, my wheels start questioning. Like, this is where I'm more like, okay, well, like, don't try to come in here and play game, like, uh, in arms about it. Not that it can't happen, but more just like, what's the agenda? And what are you trying to prove type of thing? Are you up for the challenge? Number one, the challenge of what it will be to be in an interracial relationship is your family. Are you able to stand up for your family? Like, it's all these questions. It's like, are you worthy of what it means to protect and love a black woman? Mm. That's the deed. Are you going to have my back? Will you protect me? Will you stand up for me? in your white space with mm-hmm. your white face, you know, you need to show that you're worth it. And if you're not <laughs> like, you know what I mean? like, like you, I could be up in arms or more 
protective because again i i feel like with males as a whole i feel like males are very selfish when it comes to their conquests with companionship and also when it comes to sex Mm-hmm. And so knowing that as a male, I'm already going to be here anyway as a friend witnessing right. whatever is yes. happening. Yes. And so when it comes to a race outside of me, it's like, you can be white or black. I'm already questioning, are you able to deal with the reality that it takes mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be associated and with somebody, period. Because yeah. sometimes yeah. men fantasize with women in general it doesn't even matter about color men fantasize and they don't really understand the reality it takes to deal with companionship and sometimes men like the clock out and clock in and i want to deal with this on my terms like that's just how men are that's the nature Mm -hmm. of it it does bring out more red flags than if a black woman would get with a black man because at least she already has a platform on where he comes from in yeah. a certain and understanding family. the like his experience. Yeah. My cousin was in an interracial relationship. Come to find out after the fact, her family was terrible to him and she allowed it. Like she did not She let them haze him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. years. I mean they were together for years. And that in itself for black men that date white women, if they want to, that's fine. Like but at the same time, the question is white women that date black men. My answer will be the similar answer to white men that date black women. Like, are you worthy in the sense, like, will you have his back? Will you protect him? Understand that you'll never understand. When it's flipped that way, for me, I'm a little bit more like, this is what it takes. Like, do you have what it takes to be the partner that this black person, man or woman, if you are outside of their race? Yeah, because once I found out, granted, they broke up by that point, and I was like, if you told me this before, you know I would have been giving someone a call because, like, he went through hell, and he's still dealing with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not right, because he is actually, like, not just because he's my cousin, because I would call my cousin out if he's not great, but he's truly a, an amazing human being, so. In response to white women who only date black men, I think on top of what we mentioned for white men, I think with white women handling black men emotion Mm -hmm. on however Mm -hmm. that may come out because as Mm -hmm. a black man we're not really taught on how to deal or exhibit our emotions in a free space in a safe space in adulthood there's a lot of navigating and self-discovery we have to do within Mm ourselves as it relates to interacting with others and so when it comes to a relationship or a safe haven or a safe space dealing with somebody on the adverse side and that may have oh i'm scared or oh damsel in distress or you're scaring me type of thing that won't be okay in that space and that's Mm -hmm. a very dangerous Mm -hmm. territory to be mm-hmm. in when it comes to white women who approach black mm-hmm. men or who want to be with a black man yeah simply because of either aesthetics or right what they truly feel is secure or they want mixed children or whatever yeah happens. yeah These are all the yeah. stereotypes that come yes with yes yeah dynamic. and i think that is so true in the sense that black men in this country the true trauma that is carried the true burden of just being a black man. It has to be handled with empathy and compassion in a sense, if especially if that's your partner. There is this level of just this stereotype and the belief that like this black man is gonna take our woman, they're gonna hurt our women, they're gonna or they're gonna hurt me. They're you know, like you said, like 
that they always have to be fighting against. Again, like you said, at least with if it's Black women, they can share that experience in a sense. But if you are dating outside your race, there's going to be so much you need to unpack and understand that they, your partner probably doesn't even understand. The journey to unlock just every single layer of trauma and a lot of people haven't done that like you said so it's like as a black man having to like have that sense of reality and emotional intelligence and how societally they're taught doesn't allow for them to be emotionally intelligent mm-hmm. yeah Woo. well this was quite an I, you know, I, I was excited about this recording i really was because i knew we were gonna go real deep into this I and i'm know. so proud of this episode thank you so much ashley for sharing your experience oh this was so every time we talk i'm always like come on that's my babe i love you but this was such a wonderful experience great conversation you know i love talking about this stuff especially with you so (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and it's so funny like i think as black people a lot of times we find a lot of commonalities that we don't speak about and things that we do speak about but it's so interesting hearing it from somebody who's like I don't know what this experience is and then still like absorb and learn. Yes. Yes. I really do appreciate you being like an open ear and being open to all of this stuff. No, this is so good. Again, remember, like I'm still shook about the whole, Oh, the coats were like, I'm like, we need to have a side combo about that because that's sticking with me. So (laughs) Yeah, no, we definitely can. So Ashley, would you like to promote? I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm just over here like, don't mind me. (laughs) Yes, living her best life. Well, anyway, you could follow my podcast on Instagram at A Whole Mood Podcast. And please subscribe, like, rate, share my podcast to anywhere you get your favorite podcast. I'm Alon. That's Ashley, A Whole Mood. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.